Hey friends, thanks for tuning in to the Church Planner Podcast. Before we started today, wanted to tell you about a really special opportunity. Our friends at the Micro Church Conference put on by Brave Future, um, happening April 18th through the 20th in Kansas City. This is for all of you who are wondering what is a new kind of paradigm for missional church planting and church multiplication through smaller expressions of church, what they call rediscovering the smaller way. It's happening April 18th through the 20th. Kansas City is being hosted by Kansas City Underground. It's going to be a great weekend. And they've given us four free registrations to give away. Normally the price is $90, but we will get you into the conference for free. We have four of those. What you can do to enter is go on our Instagram at Church Planter Podcast. And there you'll find um, a, a DM button. Click that DM button. Send us a DM with your email on it and your name and where you serve. So email, name, where you serve, and you'll be entered to win one of four micro church conference registrations. You just get yourself to Kansas City and uh, you can be there and learn a ton from our friends at Brave Futures. Hope you enjoy the show today. The illustrious Jabba bids you welcome. <laughs> I'm going to regret this. I'm Pete Mitchell. He's Peyton Jones. And this is the Church Planner Podcast, brought to you by Church Planner Magazine. You know, when I have a large project at home, sometimes it makes sense to do it by myself. But other times, I actually save money in the long term and have a much better solution if I use an expert. It's really not that much different with church planning. Church planners who focus on building their core team and actually planting the church and partner with portability experts like Portable Church Industries hit the ground running. Yes, you may have to raise more funds up front, but let me tell you something. If I could go back in a time machine and do one thing different in all the churches that I planted, I would go back and have invested that money in Portable Church and all of the super cool kit that they give you to make the volunteers and their lives much, much easier. Trust me, your volunteers will feel invested in, and they're going to give you more of what they got. And that time where people are setting up is going to be a time where it sets the atmosphere for you to thrive. If you're thinking about launching in the next 6 to 36 months, we encourage you to check them out at PortableChurch.com. Welcome, everyone, to the Church Planner Podcast. You are in for a special treat because Peyton Jones is not here. And that's always a special treat when he misses out. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> I am your uh, co-host, Pete Mitchell, but Peyton is not with us today. Today, we have got Matt Fretwell. Matt, welcome to the Church Planner Podcast. Man, thanks a lot, Pete. And I'm sure everyone just like was like, click. And <laughs> uh, but it's awesome to be with you, bro. No, no. Well, who knows, right? Usually when it is because of me that most people leave, but uh, <laughs> just the way it goes sometimes. Hey, we, we've got a, a great topic for you guys today. We're going to be uh, diving deep on discipleship. Um, before we go there, though, Matt, one of the things that we always like to do on this podcast, and I think you've done it before on Hardcore, so we always like to tell your story. So to kind of get us up and running, tell everyone how you came to faith and then how you got involved in church planning. Yeah, so I sort of have the oxymoron uh Growing up as an Episcopalian, and I was saved. It's an oxymoron because I was first saved, so to speak, at an Episcopal revival. Like, those two words just don't go together. Um, but that was back in the 70s, uh, so I'm dating myself. I'm in my late 40s almost now. And um, I accepted Jesus at 11, but I really didn't surrender to Christ until about 31. Uh, I had a lot of dark years that I went through, uh, drinking, carrying on fighting. I was a street brawler, doing all the things I could possibly do wrong. I tried to do them. And uh, through it all, uh, even in the culinary arts field, which God allowed me to be really successful in, um, 
I just, uh, I always was close to God, but I never fully surrendered to his will. And, um, you know, about the age of 31, it looked like things were pretty good in my life. I would say if you looked at that, you would say, hey, this guy's a success. He's got a business that is raking in some good money. He's been on the Food Network. He's, uh, you know, accomplished quite a bit, family, everything else. But on the inside, I was just breaking apart. Mm. I was um, I was miserable. I was drinking myself at night um, to, to sleep uh, and then just waking up and doing it all over again, working, you know, crazy 18, 20-hour days. Well, not 20, but maybe 18, 19-hour days as a business owner and executive chef. And um, I got to the point where um, I almost didn't even want to be there anymore and um, as I started to lose the love for that I was burning out Mm -hmm. and I got to the to an aspect of where I was literally throwing up dry heaving in my driveway um, and went to the hospital they did their blood work and said hey you have a liver like you know like a 70 year old you keep this up you have five years to go and um, then he came back and said, quite honestly, your enzymes are so high that I think that you probably have hepatitis B and I want to do more tests. And I about felt crushed because I thought, man, if that's what I have, then I'm done. Like I can't touch food. I can't be around that stuff. And you know, I, I just threw everything away. So that's when I, I went home, got on my knees and said, you know what, Lord, I've sinned against you. Uh, I've ruined my life. And uh, if, if you want you can have all this, just take it away, and I surrender to you. And if you take it from me, I'll serve you for the rest of my life. And it was like, you know, you hear about these things, and, and it really was. It was a miraculous um, aspect that happened to me where I just felt the warmth of God come up, come upon me, and I knew that he had delivered me from alcohol, and it was immediate. I mean, it was it was um, like just uh, a rapid thing that came upon me, and I remember standing to my feet, and the first things out of my mouth, I remember saying, devil, you lied to me my entire life, and I want my life back. And I said, and I remember the scripture, and I just said, in the scriptures it says that, you know, the thief must pay sevenfold, and I, I you must pay back sevenfold for what you've stolen in my life. You, you've rip this rip my life apart from god and i know that he is my master and so at that point i was like what am i going to do i knew i was called to the ministry when i was eight but i just hmm. ran from it i just I, I really ran from it as far as i could go and there are reasons for it and I, don't, I don't need to get into all that matter of fact i talk about it in one of one of my books that i wrote but um the then that took me into the place of hey where do I go from here? So I knew that I lost the love for cooking, lost the love to own my restaurant. And if you have an, if you're an owner of a business and you lose the love for it, you just need to sell and get out because it's just not good for you. And that was kind of where, what I looked at. And I started to discover um, where my gifting was, what I should do. And I remember there was, I was in the Methodist church and there was one Methodist pastor and he sat in my, in my living room. And I never forget, he looked across from me and he said, don't BS me, man. You're apostolic. And that was the first time I'd ever heard any that hmm. term like, even used. And I was like, what do you mean by that? And uh, he started really talking to me about that and working with me. And so I got into the candidacy in the Methodist church, and I went through one year of candidacy to be licensed. And um, things didn't work out there. As a matter of fact, uh, I got right to the end there. I was about to go see the the bishop, as, as so be it, to go and go to licensure, and realized that really I didn't align very well with all of the doctrines that were there. Uh, doesn't mean that any of them are wrong. It just it means that I think you need to sell out your whole heart, mind, and soul to what you are going to teach and what you believe. Uh, and so I said, you know what? I, I don't really sell out to all these, so maybe I ought to look at it. And so I ended up going the Baptist route because I w- I'm more Baptistic in my principles. I wouldn't really say that I'm, I'm like sold out Southern Baptist. Matter of fact, like the first time I heard Gaither music, I was like, that is bad. <laughs> I was like, wow. Dude, I so, grew up listening to that, and I know what you're talking about. I feel your pain. So my wife and I still like cringe when we hear like Southern gospel music, and I know I'm going to get a beating for this, but but we're still like, wow. Anyway, like we went through this journey where 
you know, I just, I, I felt like God was calling me in a church planning and I said, honey, I really think this is, this is it. But, uh, we were having these Thursday night, um, meetings at my house and like they were just Bible studies. A guy came with a guitar when it first started and we just started really, um, trying to do it organically, just a Bible study. And then before we knew it, we had like 20 people in the house and we were eating food and I'm like, you know what? I think this is where God wants us to do it. So I went in kicking and screaming and I was like, Lord, I, I don't really don't want to do this at all. Uh, one, I was in, by that time I, I had started seminary. And I wanted an income, and of course, church planning doesn't provide an income, and and it's a lot like being an entrepreneur. It just um, it's it's a lot of risk taking, and um, I got into it, and um, like I said, I, I probably got into it. Now that I look back, it's funny, I did everything wrong, man. I, if there was like something today, like if I talk to myself now, and I went back, like let's see, almost uh, ten, fifteen years, I would like be like. You're doing this incorrectly and wrong, and don't do that, don't do that. So I did all the don't do's, and now I laugh about it. But that's really how I got involved in it, um, I guess through uh, first being involved in an 829 plant uh, where I was. And then from there, I really felt God calling me after the eight. Uh, so I left the, the Methodist church, went to an 829 plant. Uh, from there, went to an SBC church as an associate discipleship and evangelism pastor. And then I got into church planning. So it was a journey. Hmm. Yeah. Is there is there like a an unwritten rule at New Breed to be associated with New Breed you have to look like Peyton? Cuz I never <laughs> noticed how much you look like Peyton until right now, shaved head, white in the goatee. I'm like, dude, I'm looking right at him. <laughs> you know, Peyton and I always laugh about that too. We're like, you know, you got to have a shaved head like so we always laugh about the aspect that God gave some people hair and then some people he just gave like really cool shaped heads. So like, uh, whatever. Well, he definitely gave me the hair because my head is misshaped. Like I'm not kidding. I got divots and it's literally squared on one side. I don't know why it's squared on a side, but it's <laughs> it's jacked up. So yeah, you got all dents and dings. It's probably not good to shave it, your head. Not for me. It would not be not at all. So if I go bald, man, it's. Too bad wow. for my wife. She she got to deal with it. I told my wife there's only two options. It's bald or Bosley. That's it. Nice. <laughs> nice. Well, here's the question that after everyone just heard your story, I'm sure it's the first question that comes to their mind because it's the first question that came to my mind. Who cooks the meals at your house? Yeah, right. So I uh, and my wife would, would uh, admit to this. I never married my wife for her cooking. It doesn't mean she's a bad cook. I just didn't. You know, I'm like, hey, uh, when it comes to cooking the meal or uh, Thanksgiving meal, all the big thing, that's me. And I'm all over. I'm like, nice. just leave the kitchen alone. Put the knife down. <laughs> like that, That's my deal. And uh, I could. Yeah. Admit, well, I mean, you're a professional chain chef. I mean, of course, it's your deal. So, yeah, I, I, and I love it. There are still aspects of cooking. Like when my, when all my kids are together and it's Thanksgiving, like that is my meal where I'm like, let's throw down. And I, I cook way too much. You know, I'm like, oh, like this, this year, I think we did like a, uh, for an appetizer, you know, I had like a, um, um, a, a pastry coated brie that had, um, a fig and cranberry chutney on top and it was baked. And so can't, that was just like an appetizer. I literally yeah. just had ramen for lunch and now I'm listening <laughs> to this. Like it's yeah. not even fair. Wow, man. That's great. That's great. Well, Hey, look for, uh, for everyone who's listening, today's topic, uh, is going to be a, a really important one. It's on the topic of discipleship. And we've got Matt to talk about this because it's been a uh, it's been something that you've studied a lot, um, yeah, for your schooling and for everything else. And it's such a topic that is so important in the church today. I kind of want to kick it off with just uh, I, I want to get your 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 initial first thoughts on the importance of discipleship and what you see. You know, kind of just as a the broad strokes, what are we doing wrong in the American church or the world church? I don't know how you've broken it down. And uh, what are we doing right? And then let's go from there. Well, what are we doing wrong is pretty easy. So there are vocations out in the world where all of us learn some type of vocation. 
Um, you would never well, – let me take it into cooking. I, I would never have taken a chef in and then just put him on the line, so to speak, or made him cook and just said, go at it. I literally would walk someone, take him by the hand and say, here are – these are the recipes that I have, and I'm going to work with you before you, the, the line, before we even open for dinner. You know, I'm going to walk him through what the recipes are. I'm going to walk him through how to put all that together, and then I'm going to make sure that when we open up that he works with me. I'm not just going to throw him in there. I want to make sure that he understands what the vision and mission is of, of the business that he understands that each plate that goes out has to look a certain way. It has to have certain aspects of it to put it all together. But this is the same whether someone's a welder or whether someone is a telemarketer. or whether You don't throw people into a position and just say, have at it. But we do this in the church, and we think that, that everyone understands when we just say, be a disciple. And Jesus didn't do that. I mean, he walked with them, he talked with them, he ate with them, he sat with them, he cried with them, and he laughed with them, and he sang with them. And yet we think that if you just come into a building on a Sunday for an hour, that people are going to sit and then they're going to assimilate this stuff and get it, and then all of a sudden understand what a disciple means. But yet we would never do that in any of our businesses. We would never hire somebody and then say, hey, um, I, I want you, you know, to go excavate. And have you ever ridden, ridden a bobcat before? Uh, no. Okay, well, you just got to pull the levers and, you know, start it up and do that. I mean, we would never do anything like that. But yet for some reason within the church, we think that that's the correct way. And I understand that we can go back through history and we can find out why. Um, and, and I don't fault, I always say this, I don't fault the current church. I understand that the previous, the errors that we're in were, were there because they developed over time. And each generation um, sort of morphed through disciple-making in their own way. And it's just come to be what it is is what it is. And it is a it's a it's a messed up, mixed up um, ideal that disciple making has become didactic, or I should say, has just become a, a Bible study. And you never saw Jesus say, "All right, guys, whip out the scroll of Isaiah, and we're going to go and exegete each word, and we're going to learn what it what it meant." He just didn't do that. He showed each person what it was, and and when he caught them arguing over something, he would, you know, break into it and say, hey, what were you guys arguing about when you were on the road? Let's talk about that, you know, and, and he brought the life lessons down to their level so that each one of them, I think, even a, like Philip, like, what do you mean we can't be with you? Until Jesus walks them through it and they're like, oh, he's like, ah, oh, now I get what you meant by it. But he never just left them hanging. And I think a lot of times we leave people hanging, Pete. That's, that's where I think we're broken. So you mentioned some of the uh, the history, and you said before the call, you're like, that's kind of the boring stuff, but you, you have intrigued yeah. me. So give, well, give me the synopsis of what's the history, and, and how did we mess it up over time? Yeah, it can, and, and like I said, there's a reason why it all developed in the way it developed. So once we branch into about the second century, um, things were, were different when, as the church started to gather from the first century to the second century, obviously we were under persecution, and the church is gathering, and they're observing um, fellowship, they're observing Christ's teachings uh, throughout daily, intentional, I should say, daily life in deep conversation, in deep aspects of everyday transformational life. They celebrate the Lord's Supper together uh, as feasts. They, um, they commune with one another and with Christ. Their identity is in baptism. And as that starts to morph from the second century, they start to say, you know what, when the new converts come in, they call them catechumen. And that which is where we got our word for catechesis, which is the teaching. And so they would bring someone through for about a year into catechesis, and this person would be a candidate for baptism, and they would lead them through this year of candidacy, so to speak, until Easter Sunday. And they did this from like the second and third century. And we know this just from documents that are written, and they talk about all this. Uh, and they did it for 
for good reason. I mean, you had a lot of people that were infiltrating the church and coming in, and they wanted to make sure that they understood that their identity was in Christ. Now, it's not that baptism, there wasn't regenerational baptism like we, we say now. It's not that someone is saved by it. But they wanted them to understand that the mission and vision uh, and identity of uh, to be with Christ and the church and the mission of the church, that's what the identity and baptism was. So while the candidate was being walked through all that, they were literally in communion with the body of Christ deeply and intentionally every day. It was a communal thing. And that's also while they were doing their work. So they were working in community. They were at home. They were eating. And all this stuff took place to, in this togetherness, this withness, as my, my professor, Dr. Robinson, and, and Doc Reed wrote a book, With, and I love it. And it talks about this withness that we have. So then you had by the third century into the fourth, and I, I hope I'm not boring people and they're already sleeping, but what happened was heresies popped up, right? And so people were like, oh, Jesus wasn't really like fully God and, you know, or fully man. And then you had this Gnosticism, which, which, which by that time had already flourished into something totally different. And all these heresies pop up. We don't need to get through all of them. Uh, you look in your theology books and you'll see it. While they did that, they started to say, okay, we need to teach more about doctrine. And the doctrine needs to be really important that the people get it. Because if they don't get the resurrection, if they don't get the gospel, if they don't get these things, then they're going to be off course. So there was a shift from the communal intentionality about daily living to more about teaching about doctrine. And then by the time, like this continues on that shift, excuse me, all the way until you get to like the Reformation where things really start to be guided by the, this teaching of doctrine and, and the, its importance. Even though community was important, it wasn't as much because by the time uh, the em- Emperor Constantine, I'm not going to blame it all on Constantine, but by the time the state married the church, things were different. You know, the church wasn't persecuted, we weren't running around. So it wasn't, we didn't have as much of, of the hiding. And, you know, when someone got saved, the whole household knew it. Like you and I, we live in a home where, you can run and hide. I got a man cave, you know, and I can sit in there by myself. When someone got saved in the early church, there was like 20, 30 people living in that house. So the whole house got saved because the whole house heard about it. So things are way different now for us. But I kind of went down a rabbit hole there. But within the Reformation, you had then what was called paedo-baptism. And I'm not going to blame it on the infant Baptists either when they they baptized infants. I understand why they did it and how all the things occurred. But once that started within the Reformation and you started baptizing, think about this. From the beginning, if someone wanted to be baptized, they went through a year of living in community with people and understanding the importance of baptismal identity and mission of the church, the identity with Christ and with the church. What's the difference in all of a sudden now someone's baptized as an infant and they're told, you're already in the church. Mm. So now it's just about learning doctrine, right? It's not really about this missional identity in which you're baptized into. You've already started a leg up when it was only at the point where they were baptizing converts. Now they were baptizing you, telling you that you're in the covenant of Christ and that salvation still a part of the aspect that you need to respond to it later on in life. But basically, you're in the covenant because you've been baptized into it. It's a totally different realm. Uh, and so that's how it shifted. And discipleship has just changed from an intentional communal immersion uh, of understanding the identity and mission of the church in Christ to more of didactic uh, or more teaching, if you will, than training. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. So Tell me this. Um, <clears throat> let's say we got a church planner. I don't know if they're you know pre-church plant or got their core team up and running, or maybe they're they're still in that beginning phases uh, of their their launch. What? H- how would you coach someone like that to be a, a disciple maker and and to really disciple people in that type of scenario in that brand new? To the church plant world? That's a great question because this is exactly what I did my doctoral uh, work in. And it's the aspect of making reproducible disciple makers. Because I always say that Jesus didn't make disciples, he made disciple makers. 
And so if, if we want to train church planners to effectively reach the community, and what I mean by effectively is reaching the lostness. So within New Breed, we have a, um, you know, and I'm kind of the head guy in the aspect of I'm going to get the initial phone call to sort of weed out if someone's New Breed material or not, whether they can fill out an application. And so I always ask the question, um, what's the reason why you want to uh, join New Breed? And if, and I, you know, I'm not going to throw away the answer here, but for me, it's it's the gospel and lostness. So if in disciple making, the church planner isn't effectively trying to reach new converts and the lostness within that community, well, then we're missing the point. We're just trying to build an empire, so to speak. Now, I understand that there are many methods and there are many models, and I'm not going to really jam on any of them because uh, thank God that everybody has sort of a different vision and maybe they're going about it in a, a, another pronged approach, and, and I applaud that. But for your question, this is what we do at New Breed. We try. We have a lot of guys that are sort of parachuted into a community. And so what we want to do is train them to make disciples in the community. How do they do that? First, I have to learn how to map the community. That's exactly what Paul did in, in Athens. He walked it. And he went through it, and he wanted to be able to see what they, what's their love. So we say this. We say, what's the Mars Hill? What that what that means is, what do they worship? What's their idol? Hmm. And we can do that in today's society. So we have a planter right now, um, one of our guys who's, matter of fact, our regional coordinator, David Thompson, uh, up in Oregon. And when we talked through this, he said, you know, what he found was the idol that was there was craft beer. So how's he going to reach a community in, in that if their idol, what they worship is craft beer? Well, throw the biggest, the best, and the most darndest awesome barbecue that you can, which is what he did, and let him BYOB. Now, we're not going to condone people getting, you know, um, I'll say wasted. <laughs> I'll use a good term. So, you know, and, and be able to do that. Um, but if it's going to bring the community together to understand that, that, look, we're something different here of a set of community, but we want to introduce ourselves to who we are. So we map out the community, and what that looks like is, okay, I have um, a church plant that we supported here in the Richmond area, and I walked the guy through and said, look, there's a tattoo shop down the street right there. Right next door to him is is a, a barber shop. Those are two different subcultures. Learn how to reach that subculture. You, you can go into the, the tattoo place. You want to introduce who you are. Uh, you want to write down the name of who they are, and you want to get to know them. Um, one, of my, one of my acquaintances, good, good kind of acquaintance, almost friend sort of slash guy, Tim, Tim Brister is phenomenal at mapping communities. He's awesome at this. And this is the aspect where you're writing this stuff down almost like you're a creeper. Like you'd be like, okay, how many kids you have? How's your family? What are you doing? And when you write all that down, the next time you go to that tattoo shop, you open up your little pad of paper. You're like, oh, yeah, last time I went in there, I talked to Bob. Bob had three kids, and one of his kids had a broken leg, you know, and, and I prayed with him. And so the next time you walk in, you go, hey, uh, you, you review your note. You walk in, you go, hey, Bob, how's it going, man? Good to see you again. How's your kid? Man, I've been praying about his leg. I mean, you're not doing anything deceitful, but you're building a relationship in a subculture that is not being reached. And you're doing that in a way by telling them, first of all, how much you care and how much you want to build a relationship with them. And so planters are in the community by doing those two things, one, mapping and another, finding the Mars Hill. And then I would say third, it's a third-pronged approach, is by maximizing and minimizing. And Peyton has talked about this many times. You want to maximize your income by maximizing your exposure. And what that means is find a tent maker position, right? Find an, what I call an anchor trade, something that the community needs. So our David Thompson, once again, to speak about him, he's a chimney sweep. Man, he's in every single lost person's home within Bend, Oregon, cleaning out the chimney. He's building a relationship with them. Paul was a tent maker. He was literally in the marketplace making tents for who? Nomadic people. They traveled from place to place. And he's like, hey, I got something for you. When you're traveling, you're going to live in this tent. Let me tell you about the gospel 
And when you're living in this tent and you're walk, going from place to place, think about God's dwelling place, that he is with you. And this tent is an expression of God's gospel and how God has incarnated himself to dwell and live within you. You know what I mean? He's explaining that to these guys. So disciple-making is really being, being about intentional within the community and building relationships and doing it smartly. I tell you, that's really interesting because in, in business, the best salespeople in the world do what you just talked about. And that is they will find all about your family. What are your loves? Oh, you like golf. Great. You know, um, and they'll keep a CRM with all of that minutia in it. And it's without a doubt in every industry, the top salespeople are always those people. And then every time they meet up with someone, just like you said, they'll review that person's contact record and go, Oh, that's right. You know, they got little Susie's in third grade now. And, and, mm-hmm. uh, he really likes golf and he, 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 you know, saw the UFC fight last time. Oh, we just had a big one. I'll have to ask him about, you know, and that's what they do. So mm-hmm. to me, it's always funny when I see this stuff from business creep back up in, in ministry and I can go, Hey, I see a, a total correlation there because that's exactly what we do in business. This is but This is exactly what Jesus said. He said, you know, be as wise as serpents. He also said, even make friends with the money of the world. He didn't say to love it, but he said to make friends with it. And he said, you can be like, it's like the, the, the parable of my father's day, the parable about the, the manager who like whittled away the guy's money. And then he was wise enough to go back to the people. Basically, he was embezzling funds, but he goes back to the people and say, uh, how much do you owe my master? Uh, forget about 100, write down, you know, 50 barrels, you know. And so you're like, well, what is he doing? Man, he's being smart. He's like, I'm about to get kicked on, on the can. I'm going to be hanging out in the community. So I'm going to go ahead and, and, and be um, receptive to understanding that he's like, like a serpent. He's mapping things through and he's seeing that. It doesn't mean we're being deceptive with people or dishonest or disingenuous. It means we're being wise. We really want to take an interest in their life. So, of course, business principles, and I'm like you, Pete, like I used to be a business owner. So if I would go out to a table and I'd have a meal in front of them and I would say, how do you like it? And they said, this sucked. <laughs> you know, I'm not going to be like, boy, well, I think it's a winner. You know, I'm like, really? What, do you, what didn't you like about it? Which, by the way, I never really had that. But if they did, I would, you know, I would really think about like, but I would ask them, how do you think I can make that better? Right. You know, what do you think? You know, and I want to get that feedback and I want to build relationships. I mean, I had a guy who would come in and he was um, on the White House staff and the only thing on his card, used to just, it just had the presidential symbol and his name. And he's like, yeah, I, I work with the White House. And, and I ended up just building a great relationship with this guy. And over time, you know, like General Richard Myers came in to eat and you could just watch the Secret Service guys all over the restaurant when you see him. And it was like, I guess from this guy, I just gained this clearance and trust and more government officials started coming in to eat. Um, and, you know, I just realized that to build that relationship, he was talking about my food and the aspect that I was giving him confidentiality, that I respected who he was and I, and I didn't flaunt it. And that's just part about uh, building relationships in business. We want to get to know people. Same thing within disciple making. Why do we think? We're just going to sell, and that's my problem. Like, I love evangelism. I'm evangelistic by heart, and it's probably because I'm an extrovert. But we've sold evangelism as if we just need to, to give someone to get a sale, and once we get the sale, we're all done. And we've neglected what is discipleship. Discipleship in the aspect of evangelism is really, that's the first part. Like, the evangelism, the easy part. The hard part begins when a person, you know, surrenders their life to Christ. Then we're like, all right, man, now I need to walk with you through this. So I don't think a lot of us are committed to the fact that if I lead this person to Christ, and of course, Holy Spirit's power, and the person comes and they surrender their life to Christ, I don't think we're really fully committed to Christ and prepared to say, all right, now I'm going to walk with you through it. Right. We just we just want to say another notch in my belt. That's cool. 
I see. Uh, I get that because, you know, one of the stories that the people who listen to the podcast and listen to it for a while have heard about, you know, my, my assistant who I always thought he was an atheist. I mean, we've been friends for years. Uh, he actually sold me the house I live in now. He did the loan on it. He did the loan on my the first house I ever owned. Good friend. We'd work together. Um, through a turn of events, you know, got into uh, a position where I honestly feel he got railroaded, and, and now he's serving time in federal jail. And he pled guilty because it was either face 20 years or go to jail for two. I mean – you know, you're 56 years old, you got an 11 year old and a 21 year old, you, you kind of go, well, you know, two years is better than 20 and you just go for it. Well, unfortunately, obviously when you do that, no one wants to hire a felon. Like you, you're not going to get a job. You're a felon. And, uh, and so I needed some work done. I said, Hey, look, man, why don't you come work for me? And we always had a good relationship, and he always knew I was a Christian. We talked about it before. But our conversations, the way that they always went, I just assumed he was an atheist. So now he's working for me. And obviously, you know, I got all the marketing stuff, but I also run the Bible Inner Circle, Church Planner Magazine, Church Planner Podcast. That's a big part of my world. And so he has to hear all this stuff. In fact, I still remember calling up Peyton, and I go, hey, Peyton, man. We got to get the stuff done for Bible Inner Circle. We got these five interviews that we did. We need to have the interviews transcribed and cleaned up because obviously the way we speak is not the way we read. And I'm like, dude, I got a buddy I want to hire to do this, but he's not a Christian. So one, I need your permission. And two, after he cleans it up, I need you to go back and review it. Make sure he didn't change anything that you know wasn't supposed to be changed. Uh, and not that he would have done it intentionally, but accidentally because – like there were a lot of times he was looking up words going, man, I never heard this word before. What does this thing mean? Right. And so we thought it was funny that the first things he had to do was read some of the best interviews ever with like Alan Hirsch and Brian Sanders and like all these guys. Right. And, um, and you know, through the, the, the months and literally hours upon hours of us talking about God and going through, uh, all of the questions that that he'd had, all of the opinions and objections he'd have. Um, one day, you know, we're sitting here in my office, and all of a sudden, he goes, uh, "I I made some comment. I said something about, oh, you know, the sinner's prayer, right? Just you know, the sinner's prayer." And he goes, "Well, what's the sinner's prayer?" I go, "Oh, that's just something we call it, you know, when someone you know says, God forgive me,' blah blah blah." And, and we're talking, and he goes, "You know, I did that when I was a kid." I was like, oh, man, that's awesome. And he goes, and I did that again a couple of weeks ago. And I remember going, uh, like, I was, like, starting to choke up, right? I'm, like, fighting it back, right? You know, and, like, he was just now willing to tell me that he had, you know, made that awesome. that that choice, that that commitment. And, and I remember thinking, because this is uh, the beginning of September of 2017, and September 28th, he had to report to uh, uh, Sheridan Federal Correction Institute in, in Oregon. And I remember going, well, crap, dude. How do I make sure that, like, I didn't use the word disciple, but I'm like, how do I make sure he still gets what he needs? Because, dude, he just he's a baby Christian who's had, you know, 56 years of objections to all of this. How do I do that? You know, and and so the, the, the thought that that you were just describing that some people are like, hey, you know what? I got him saved. Great. Let's go on to the next one. I totally agree. It can't end right there. There's got right. to be more because it's like, okay, now we got this whole thing. Like now we communicate via email mostly because it literally costs them so much money to call. By the way, guys, get involved with prison ministry. Um, the way we have set this stuff up in America, there is almost no hope for these guys like you, you literally have to pay for your own toothbrush and toothpaste in prison. You have no money. Like there, there's no money. So, you know, how do you do this? So every dime that he's gotten gets goes so we can talk to his family, not so he can talk to me, but even emailing me costs time because he's got to pay for the computer usage. So, um, but that's the only way that we can really communicate now. And so now we communicate via that and books 
And I send him the Bivo Inner Circle newsletter because, hey, he worked on it for the first few months. He was the guy who had to put the whole thing together for us and, and me and Peyton. And, um, but, but that's the, you know, that's the thought running through my head is, man, okay, I got to disciple this guy, but that wasn't the word. I think Peyton was the one that kind of brought that up to me. He's like, yeah, now you got to disciple. I'm like, oh, crap. Now I got to disciple someone that kind of scares me because that's not my deal, right? Like you're the pastor, Peyton. I'm just the dude in the background, right? But um, yeah, I didn't sign up for that, right? Yeah, I know. Oh crap! Now what do I do? And uh, so no, I'm just I'm just bringing that whole story up to just emphasize, man. I totally see what you're talking about and the importance of that. So let's say we got someone who did just get saved, and they're not going off to jail, which does happen a lot with a lot of our church plants, but. But let's say it's not that situation. How does discipleship look, or, or what form can it take with that that new convert? Well, it's going to be going through the the daily aspects of life. So, like uh, one of the one of the first guys that um, that I had brought through discipleship and been discipling with for years. I mean, it was just like. Um, you know, his life was torn apart, you know, living with a woman and not married to her and having kids and blah, blah, blah. You know, and people would ask me like, you know, but they're, you know, you know, they're, they're not living their life, you know, the way they should be. I was like, so when does a disciple have to be a perfect Christian? You know, when do you think that you're the Holy Spirit? Like God is leading them through a journey and you're to take them on it. And so I'm not going to condemn them and say immediately like, all right, you need to get this out of your life, 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 this out of your life. And all of a sudden the new believer thinks, man, this is just a list of do's and don'ts Mm. instead of being like, hey, man, I, I understand, you know, when you're discipling someone, you're talking to them about their hurts, their emotions, their feelings, probably their strongholds, definitely, and the things of that. And you're going to walk them through and say, how's that really working for you? You know, is that, do you think that that's bringing you closer to God or, or further away if you make that decision? And, and how can you make a better decision with that? How can you start to cultivate a relationship with Christ in your work, in your home? And in, so here's the thing. Discipleship is triangular. It's not, it's not vertical only, and it's not horizontal only. It's triangular in the, in the aspect of we have a relationship with us, our Christ life, between us and Christ, that union. And then we have this other aspect where it goes out on another direction between us collectively with the church and we're discipled corporately within one another. And and then also we have the aspect where it, it, it connects to all of those things where everybody is reaching and teaching one another and walking with them in daily life. The problem is we don't have what I like to say a Christ life. We have a work life, a home life, and a church life. And none of these are stimulated together. And so for the person you're going to walk with through that, you really just want to be with that person. Uh, and I would say men with men and women with women. And that's probably the best way to do it. And, and with the guy I'm going to walk with, I'm going to say, hey, I don't want to see you in my office. And I don't want to see you for a Bible study. But I am going to ask you when we meet, what are you reading? What are you praying about? What do you do you hear God in your life? Do you hear him speaking to you in prayer? If not, um, why not? And how do I cultivate a better prayer life with you? If, if so, do you want to hear how I pray and walk you through that? Um, have you ever considered fasting? And fasting is not to manipulate God. Fasting is to put the flesh in um under submission to the spirit. And so the spirit is in control and you're teaching your body that the spirit is in control here, not the flesh. So when it tells you it's hungry, believe me, I get hangry. And so <laughs> I'm one of those people, but the, this is, these are parts of what you're walking through some, somebody, what the early church did. They just brought people through intentional life where Christ is enmeshed into every aspect of their life. And so I ask questions, and I think disciple-making is more about asking questions than it is about telling people what they have to do. Mm. Wow, man, that's really uh, that's really powerful. I like that. I really like that. So you would say then that a lot of the discipleship 
it's going to be done almost uh <laughs> I can't use the term that just went through my head cuz I don't respect it enough. We're doing life together, man. We're doing uh, right. <laughs> but it, but it is kind of a lot more like that where like you said it's not I, I don't want you in my office cuz then it's it's kind of a weird dynamic then, right? You know, someone comes in sits across your desk or whatever and yeah, I mean, think about it. I mean, immediately there's a desk that's separating you from them. You're basically saying that you're the expert and they aren't. What you really want someone to know is that you're not the expert, but you you are a type of, um, and I hate, uh, once again, cliches, mentor, but you are someone who's walking, you're an imperfect perfection in Christ. This As Christ is and the Holy Spirit is sanctifying you, leading you through this sanctified life, none of us has everything pegged. None of us has everything perfect. We all have our own wobbles. We all have our own imperfections. We all have our own strongholds. We all have our own sin, and we all struggle at a different level and in some other place. But yet we've been through potholes. It's like telling your kid, you know, when you you tell your kid, like, you don't want to go down that road. I've already been down that mm. road. And they look at you like, poor old man. I have to go through this. <laughs> Just like I did with my dad. Like, dad, you don't understand. You don't know. I'm 16. I understand everything. Mm. You know, and a new believer, uh, they kind of look at you like, well, all I know is all I have to do is, you know, Jesus loves me. This I know because the Bible tells me so, right? And you're like, you know, there's going to be a lot more to this. Like, what about when your boss you know, tells you something and you want to flip them off. Like, how do you deal with that in a Christ-like way? Does it mean that you have to be, um, you know, a foot mat that someone's going to brush off on you? You know, do you have to be walked on? So these are all situations in real life that we want to go through and, and walk someone through as they have questions. You want them to bring questions to the table as you bring questions to the table, and you want to meet with them as much as you can. And realistically, it's probably going to be one to two times a week. Two is a lot in our lifestyle, the way we're so just driven by scale. I mean, like I, I disciple more than one person, so that's a lot. I mean, just meeting with one person uh, takes a lot out of you, and it has to be intentional on both sides. We need to say that. Mm. <coughs> Excuse me. Yeah, so if we're not intentional about, if the disciple is not intentional about growing, you know, you, you can't force someone. You, you, It's like, you know, if you have someone at your work that just wants to go through the motions and all they do want to do is clock in and clock out, um, they get what they put into it, and they're not, um, they're never going to grow. For me as a chef, when I started to come up, Man, I didn't care if you called me a brown nose or I didn't call I didn't care what you called me, but I wanted to have my nose up the chef's butt because I wanted to know what he knew. And there was a reason why he was the executive chef and there was a reason why I was only, you know, a pantry chef or just a guy making sandwiches and I knew I didn't want to be making sandwiches for the rest of my life. I wanted to be the head guy and I wanted to know what he knew. So when the first executive chef when I kept trying to learn from him and he was like Hey, if you're serious, here's a book, and I'm going to give you this to read, and then come back and tell me what you think, and then let's start to apply this, and I'm going to teach you things. And I remember as a dishwasher, we had a crew, a crew of dishwashers in this place that I worked in, and there was one guy, man, that you know, like he always got passed over, even though he was hired so much longer than I was. And the chef would come over and say, "Hey, Matt, come over here. I want you to." to do this and this. And the other guys are scrubbing the tiles and the dirt and the stuff underneath, and they're getting ticked off because the chef is having me prep food, and they're all cleaning. I'm like, man, I don't want to be a dish dog forever. You know, forget that. Hmm. You know, and so discipleship is kind of the aspect of like, man, forget that. Like, I realize that life is hard. Life has suffering. Life has pain. You know, I want, I want to walk with someone through this. I want someone to encourage me. I mean, even today, you know, like I texted Peyton, I was like, I'm struggling today, bro. Like I'm having a rough day here, you know, and I just need to talk to you about some stuff, you know, and I just know I have that with Peyton. And he's like, sure, man. And, and by the time the conversation was, and it was just texting and thank God for modern technology, you know, but after it was over, I'm like, man, thanks, man. You, you lifted my spirits. I'm encouraged today. Thank you, bro. Love you, man. And you know, like that's what it's about to have that, that outlet. And if we think that 
you know, being a Christian as a Lone Ranger, we missed it. Hmm. Well, I could really see that, especially where you live. You you showed me it was 21 degrees, but it felt like 12. <laughs> and it does too, man. It's been really like bitter cold. And I grew up in New York, like where it was cold, but I've lived in the South too long. So <laughs> and I have no hair on my head. So that ain't no joke. When I was young, I had, I had a mullet, right? So I had the, the business, right? Business right. in front party in the back. That's baby. it. <laughs> <laughs> That would have been a great picture. That's what we should have stuck on the cover of Church Planner magazine. <laughs> oh, man. I try to hide that picture. Oh, no. We got to find it. Someone's got to put it online somewhere. We'll do a Google search. We'll yeah, no, it. it's a, it's you could go into my it's in my Facebook feed. Man. Oh, is there's it? Some, yeah, yeah. There's, there's some of me, man, with the mullet. Nice. Yeah. Nice. I love it. I love it. Well, look, Matt, I think that you've shared just a, a tremendous amount of information here that it I'm I'm in that position right now where I'm like, okay, I want to like really think about this and let it marinate in and, and kind of go, okay, how how can I take this and and utilize what I've given? But I want to make sure that I give you the opportunity to uh if there's anything else that that you feel is really important that you haven't shared yet, you know, a question that I should have asked but didn't ask, you know, you know, give you this this time right now to, to take advantage of that and share that. Uh I would probably just say that there's not really a wrong way um, in the aspect of building a relationship with somebody. And if you say it like, well, in the church that I'm in they're you know, they're not doing this. Should I leave if they're not doing that? And I would say, no, what you should try to do is build that culture of disciple making. And if we would, we would grasp that evangelism is important in reaching new converts. But if a church is not, effectively and intentionally trying to reach out to new converts and build new relationships within the community, then we're missing the point. And I would say be that person in your church that wants to try to change and build that culture, uh, that new missional DNA. Because I, I have guys that will say, like, man, my church is kind of dead, do, and, and I have no one discipling me in my church. Where do I find somebody um, because I don't have so much a mentor. I don't have someone. What do I do if I don't have someone like that in my life? How do I find it? And, and where do I go about it? That's probably the only question that, that I hear the most. And I said, everybody should be discipling <clears throat> and everyone should be discipling somebody. Hmm. So you just have to do that litmus test and then understand this. Whoever you ask to disciple you, you must be prepared that you're going to be accountable, that they're going to ask you some tough questions. Like for me, like sometimes I'll ask a guy like, did you look at porn this week, man? You know, just flat out, just tell me, you know, like I'm not going to condemn you. I want to walk with you through it if you're having a tough time. You know, I want there to be that clarity. You know, um, how did you speak to your wife? And and I have guys that I'll be brutally honest with, you know, and I'll say, you know, I said this and this and this, you know, and and I think we have to have that. We have to. So don't ask someone. That's my point. Don't ask someone to uh, disciple you and then not be prepared to be sold out to any question. Any question's got to be on the table. Matter of fact, I think that when Peyton just interviewed one of my, so like I had Dr. Chuck Lawless. I had him as one of my professors. Awesome. Love the guy. He's just phenomenal. And I think he talked about the same thing on hardcore church planning about making sure that you're accountable and you understand that, hmm. that if you ask someone, don't just say, Hey man, are you going to disciple me? Disciple doesn't mean open up a Bible study. And anytime I go to a church website and I look on the front tags and it says discipleship ministry, I'm like, just want to do face palm and be like, dude, discipleship isn't a ministry. <laughs> it's a way of life. Like, you don't, it's not like if someone in your church is not involved in that ministry, that they're not a disciple. It's not something to be conquered. Discipleship is to be journeyed. It's not a conquering. It's not a certificate that you get. It's like, oh, I went through the discipleship course and now I'm a disciple. Like, it doesn't, doesn't work that way. Mm. It just, it's a journey. So, yeah, I guess that's probably all I would do. And then, uh, if I could throw the plug in there, because our discipleship podcast, The Wretched and the Wrecked, um, we've had Peyton on too. So, The Wretched and the Wrecked, we just do, that is all about discipleship, mm. the whole thing. And we've, you know, we've had guys like, you know, Alan Hirsch and Doc Reed and Chuck Lawless. We've had all those guys and Peyton, Alan Briggs, same guys you guys <laughs> have on basically, but we just don't ask people like who they're going to beat up. 
<laughs> so it's not as good. I understand. <laughs> well, hey, I, I appreciate your time. Real quickly, um, because we've never actually brought this up on the podcast, and we, we, we can't for certain reasons, but since Peyton's not here, I can bring it up all I want, because today it's my podcast. Mm-hmm. Tell us what's New Breed, what's your involvement with it, and if they want to find out more, how do they reach out to you? Man, New Breed, number one, I am biased. I love them. I think they're awesome. Uh, We are a training network, and within our training network, we do uh, three different assessments. And through our assessments, we want to know, are they trainable? Are are, are they learning? And are they sendable? And within that, we have a fourfold process of training guys. So we have a Voxer app that's 24-7 where we keep them connected to one another. We also have a Zoom call, which everyone's connected to if they want to be every month. We have a Pathrite, which um, is sort of our uh, content development and missional engagement that they can take. And then we also connect each person to a regional coordinator. So every applicant that comes in, they go through that fourfold prong. So as a training network, we just focus on not a timetable, but we want to help them gain the aspect of understanding, um, uh, maybe make a better launch, better core team, reaching the community better, and uh, know how to do that in the best ways possible. Uh, so we're not a funding network, so we're not going to throw money at you, but we are a training um, network that is committed to helping one another out. And our strong position, uh, I would say our strength, is that we're not one or two experts. Everybody is considered sort of the expert. It's a brother and sisterhood kind of the aspect where everybody that's in it pours into one another. Mm. Um, one of our distinctives is we don't just train men, we'll train women right along with it. So we, we believe Priscilla and Aquila were together. And so most church planning networks will, maybe they'll do an assessment and they'll say, hey, can your wife come in for um, sort of like an interview? And they'll interview her to make sure she feels like the guy is called, but then they're not going to train her. It's sort of, uh, we just find it kind of ridiculous. And so we want to train the woman as well. Um, so I'm, I'm the director of operations. My whole job is to make sure that all the leadership is being developed, the, the leadership structure, uh, the guys that are in leadership are getting the training and the help and the resources and the assistance that they need. And then also that the planters, as they come in for the application process, they're being assessed and that they're also being connected with the right regional coordinator and that <clears throat> they're being uh, connected to the Voxer, Zoom call, all those sort of things. And I would say this. Newbreed has taken off in the last year. We had a stellar 2017, and we have church planners right now in queue waiting to join. Like we, we have several that are just waiting. We just took on a few more that just started at the beginning of this year, and uh, we're just seeing leaps and bounds um, even globally. Took on another uh, church planner in, in Spain um, right near Catalan, which is one of the – it's the third most unreached people group mm-hmm. in, in the world. Uh, and that's New Breed. We go to lostness, and uh, we love that. We are just uh, – I mean, it's spiritual warfare flat out, and believe me, some of our guys have some serious spiritual warfare hitting them hardcore um, but we're dedicated to one another, and uh, we're dedicated to just you know loving each guy and and who we're with, man. And how do they find out more about that if it's something they want to look into? Uh, so newbreednetwork.org, newbreednetwork.org, or could they could email me at matt at newbreednetwork.org. Man, that is that. By the way, that's like Peyton's ding, man. He he's away, and he's like, hey, did, did Pete catch up with you? So right. I, I love I love that guy, and I know those dings always come up, and so that's awesome. It's pretty cool. That's right. awesome, and then awesome. So you, you guys that are listening, Peyton is really like with us, like in, in technology, uh, but pretty funny. Anyway, so they can reach me by Matt at newbreednetwork.org or newbreednetwork.org, and they can hit just the button for info. And I'm gonna I'm gonna get all that information anyway. Um, Twitter, MT Fretwell, or Facebook. You can look me up. I'm very reachable. Um, and just want to be a part of everybody's life uh, to see them grow in spiritual formation and discipleship. Well, Matt, thanks so much, man. I appreciate you taking the time to share all this with us. And uh, just in closing, I want to remind everyone, 
If you are uh, looking for a place for your church plant, you're thinking to yourself, hey, where can we do church at? Where can we get into our community? You might want to consider Regal Theaters, their, their cinemas. I mean, people are already going to the movies. I tend to go to the movies every Sunday. And uh, they've got a whole division headed by church planners that help you uh, utilize their facilities Sunday mornings when they're not using them. And it's really easy to get people to go to the movies if they're going to church. And you can find all about that at corporateboxoffice.com forward slash theater hyphen church. And it's spelled T-H-E-A-T-R-E hyphen church. So thanks so much, Matt. Again, appreciate you being on. And I just want to remind everyone, if you want to reach the ones that nobody's reaching, you got to go where nobody's going and do what nobody's doing. Thanks for joining us for another weekly episode of the Church Planner Podcast with Pete Mitchell and Peyton Jones. We'd love to hear your comments on this episode of the Church Planner Podcast. Visit us online and let us know what you thought at churchplannerpodcast.com. If you subscribe to us via iTunes and have enjoyed the podcast, leave us a positive review. The more positive reviews we receive in iTunes, the more iTunes will promote us to other church planners who would benefit from this show. This podcast is brought to you by the Church Planner Magazine, which is available in the iTunes newsstand or online via churchplannermagazine.com. Music